We're in the third part of a series that I've called Welcoming the Why. Uh, it's not a, a grammar lesson, as um, made clear. I'm just waiting for the graphic to pop up on the screen. There we are. Welcoming the Why. Jesus, the Word made flesh, dwelt amongst us. He is the invisible he is the image of the invisible God. He is full of grace and truth. I suppose these, uh, these little three um, that we've been doing have, have been focused around the, the Christian theological word incarnation of the word became flesh of God coming amongst us. God with us. It's a very key theme and hopefully it's helped us. Welcoming the why, why did Jesus come? But from God, from God's heart, what does he show? What does he reveal? But also that he comes in answer to who we are. All the more and still relevant for today. Here's a quote from a, um, a lady called Baroness Mary Warnock. You may have heard of her. You may not. She's a, a top bioethicist. She sits in the House of Lords. She said, life has no value. Life has no value. She's, an, uh, she's a supporter of the assisted suicide campaign. And she says that human life has no intrinsic value. And she made that claim, that statement, that assertion, life has no value in the midst of the assisted dying debate in London. She went on to say in The Guardian, I don't think that life as an abstraction has any particular value. Sometimes death is more desirable than life. I wonder what you think. Let me contrast that with the words of a lady called Dame Cecily Saunders. She was the founder of the modern hospice movement, St. Christopher's Hospice in London. She was a social worker and nurse, and she was appalled at the way medical staff treated people who were about to die, in essence, ignoring them as tokens of the failure of the medical system. What do we do with the dying? And it offended her, she's a Christian. She said, for the care of the dying has traditionally been one of the church's seven works of mercy. Since no one would listen to her, to her as a nurse, because she was a woman and the doctors were men and they knew best, she decided she'd return to medical school and became a doctor and founded a place where people could come to die with dignity and without pain. Now hospices that she inst instigated exist in 40 countries across the world. Half, about half of them have an overtly Christian ethos. Dame Cecily believed from the beginning that Christians offer the best combination of physical, emotional, and spiritual care for people facing death. And she upholds the hospice care movement as a glowing alternative to those who say life has no value. Now, I, I'm probably talking to the converted on this one, literally, and in this issue, but it's good to remember. Um, let's uh, click on. 
Zen. I take this as a sign from the Lord that I meant to continue on in my introduction whilst we, uh, we wait. I came across, and it may come up. There we go, thank you. I came across this, uh, this poem, and I wanted to, to have it, and we'll come back to it at the end, welcoming the why. It's a poem entitled, Looking Level-Eyed into the Face of God. Blessed art thou, O Christmas Christ, that thy cradle was so low that shepherds poorest and simplest of earthly folk could yet kneel beside it and look level-eyed into the face of God. It really captures something of welcoming the why. This isn't working. Ah, so we're asking this question. Why did Jesus become one of us? Why is it important? Why is it important that he, he just didn't send another kind of script, another command, another law? We looked at that last week. Why is it that he came amongst us? Why is it that he had to be born amongst us? And I, I teased out a little bit of the thread. You know, if we said he just came to die, why did he just not die right at the beginning when Herod took out the swords and the clubs and killed hundreds of children? Why was it that he was spared? Why did he have to grow to 30 before being crucified, before, being, before dying in our place? And I talked about how, yes, he died to save us, but also there was something very important about the word made flesh and dwelling amongst us, and we have seen, we beheld, we could look level-eyed into the face of God, not just as a baby, but as a man, and see what he does. See how he acted. Because it's really clear that, that as the Savior, as the rescuer, as God's promised one, he shows us what entirely what God is like. Why did Jesus become one of us? I talked about in week one that he came to communicate not just by sending the email or another tablet of stone because we wouldn't get it. We, we, we're really into law and legalism. We make lots of rules. And he came to show us something else. But I, I want to think particularly this evening of, of a theme um, that I've touched on in the, in the opening of, of welcoming the why of, of dignity. That in Jesus becoming one of us, he didn't just come as a sort of Marvel comic hero, as a Superman. He didn't just come kind of pretending to be human, as kind of one of these like Thor-like characters or, or Christopher Reeve Superman. I've forgotten the name of the new one. James will know the actor. It's not, you'd have to shout it out, but not up with the, not up with the kids anymore. And... Uh, you know, that sort of looks human, but really has got supercharged superpowers. That's not Jesus. 
I mentioned in both weeks that so much of culture, and particularly at that time, was sort of looking in order to become divine, in order to become kind of recognized as God-like. The Pharaoh wanting to be worshipped as God, Caesar the emperor wanting to be worshipped as God, and here is God truly becoming flesh and blood, and reversing the trajectory and saying, I must become one of you. Irenaeus a theologian from the second, third century, summed it up in, in words that go something like this. He said, that which God did not assume, he could not save. In other words, if he had just come as a sort of a token human, a pretend one, a caricature of, he wouldn't really have entered into our condition. The words of Philippians are actually, Philippians 2, a very early um, a very, very early Christian hymn, probably, he said, you know, he, he, he took the form of a servant. He, he, the very nature, took the very nature of humanity. That's why. The scripture uh, that we're going to, to read this, this evening, and then we're going to see a little bit of a video clip. The scripture is from Mark 10. It's, it's in many of the Gospels. And it's Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. And we often read this at dedications. It's a lovely little passage. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place in his, ha his hands on them, and the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. There's not many times that the scriptures tell us Jesus got indignant. But when they stopped, the family is bringing the children to Jesus. This is one of those moments. He said to them, Jesus, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Why did Jesus become one of us? Because in taking on our flesh, of becoming dust, royalty becoming dust, in becoming as we are, God says that that which we are, that which we are matters. Life has meaning. Life is precious. The person is valuable dignity. And this kind of pervades all the way across things to do with law and human rights and, uh, and, um, uh, and things like uh, international trade and justice and, and climate change of why do people matter? Because God has become one of us. So believe it or not, Sainsbury's got something right. You may want to shop at Sainsbury's, but there are other suitable suppliers for your turkeys and Christmas goodies. This is their Christmas advert. Have you seen it? We were about to. James, just give her a little hand. Sorry, Chris, I'm challenging you on this today. 
Ah, so if you could skip to the beginning. This is, um, you've seen the penguin one? That was John Lewis. This is quite profound. Jenkins. Oakley. Knight. My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön, um, it's schön. powerful little clip, isn't it? And goes on to say Christmas is for sharing. Why I like it, it's, it's got lots of things to say and it's a, it's a little, it's a powerful little glimpse of Christmas 1914. And it, I guess it's become immortalized in, in our psyche of, of that moment 
when the guns stopped on Christmas Day, silent night. And I love how it echoes Paul's writings in Ephesians that, that through Jesus coming amongst us and dying his death, he tears down the dividing walls of hostility between us and God, but also from Jew and Gentile, from person to person, we see the power. But I love that clip too, that it kind of points the madness of conflict in that moment of these young men separated by meters and some soil who would blast each other. And in that moment, centered in Christmas, a recognition that each other matters. The dignity of Jerry and the dignity of the Brit. And a meeting in no man's land where no one would go, but actually Jesus has gone. I've seen that clip a few times and I just noticed it's good the Germans took their hats off. They wouldn't be good with heading the ball with those spikes on top, I decided notice. Jesus becomes one of us. Can we click on, please? There we go. I've said and I've kind of used these two things about, about Jesus as the focus of the reason of this season. If you're moving away from Jesus, you're moving away from understanding God. That was one of the foundational things, that this Jesus who comes amongst us, God made flesh, the word made flesh and dwelling amongst us. He, he is the incarnate one. He is God with us. He is the image of the invisible God. He, Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. And if we think, well, I want to find God, but this Jesus, not sure. If we move away from Jesus, then we move away from God. We cannot find out about God without Jesus. Impossible. I was reading this this week, John 10, it says that Jesus says, I am the gate and you enter in through me. But also that's true that if we stop short of Jesus, we're stopping short of discovering what God is like because he reveals fully and finally and completely what God is like. But wonderfully too, in this today, the flip side is also the dignity of flesh, of humanity, of people. He enters in, the dear Christ enters in. Jesus elevates the dignity of the person. That's why I don't believe I agree with Mary Warnock who says life has no value. God values it because he entered in. God values it because he became part of it. Flesh and blood and boned and sinewed. He becomes one of us. It's amazing. That in so doing and in his action as we see what he does through his ministry, we see again and again God's view of people, God's view of the individual, of personhood. And he elevates it. So that moment when the disciples were in their crowds and they were busy and I'm sure they had their diaries out and saying we need to be in the next village, Jesus. And little children were coming to him and family saying go to Jesus, going to Jesus. I mean it's recognized he was good to be with. Yeah, and they were coming and so Jesus was being distracted. Distracted, they thought, and said, no, come on, children, shoo. 
you're not welcome here. And Jesus rebuked them. He was indignant, said, no, no, no. In that recognition, Jesus says, of these little ones, we see the kingdom unfolding. We see that people matter. We see that these small ones, the ones who are powerless, the ones who do not have a voice for themselves, the ones who are easily killed by the, the forces of this world or taken early because of disease, these little ones who often weren't named in the early days of their life because so many of them would die, these little ones are welcome. They matter to God. And we see it again and again in who Jesus meets, in who Jesus encounters and how he responds to people. So we've mentioned the children, but what about the women? The women that Jesus encounters and breaks across those barriers, those dividing walls, those things we would say there are certain people that we keep at a distance for us in our 21st century is we, we kind of think, yeah, come on, this isn't so radical, but rethink of what it was like and still let that impact us. To say this is God amongst us. Not just the children, not just the women, but the outsiders again and again and again. The outsiders were brought oh so close. The lepers those who were on the periphery, those who had to have their own little community, those for whom the, the doors would shut and, and the shutters be closed and the children call in because those unclean ones were here and passing through. Or the maimed, those who had to be carried about because they were unable to fend for themselves, those who were just pitiable and were taking the small change or a fragment of food as people in their kindness said, here, have some food, beggar. Jesus lifted up and restored. The feared, those who were untamed and uncontrollable, pictured so often as the demonized, the hated, Matthew and his friends, the tax collectors, the Samaritans, the mocked, Jesus welcomed, brought close, prayed for, blessed. Because in doing that, as he has become one of us, and in his action revealing God says, people matter. Jesus elevates the dignity of people. And so we live in an age and an era and thank the Lord for institutions that talk you know, the, the um, European Convention on Human Rights. It's topical and political and controversial. And, and we kind of focus in on the, the slightly bizarre. But actually, what are we saying? That different human beings have different rights? Or actually, are all human beings precious? In the campaigns that we, we, are, we are fighting and supporting and understanding that there are hundreds of thousands of slaved enslaved people in our land, in Britain, in the 21st century, that that has to motivate the Christian church, let alone anyone else. Jesus elevates the dignity of the person. 
I don't know how it works out for you. I was talking yesterday with, with someone who's really struggling with faith and kind of grown up in a Christian family. And, and he, was, he was really challenged by his sort of agnostic, almost atheist is his way he described himself. And one of his things we saying, you know, Jesus, but Christians, I see them and, and they, they're such, they don't live out what they're meant to believe. And churches pull themselves apart and, and he's got lots of issues going on. And, and I said to him, you know, Jesus is always the hope of us, they're always the hope for your life. And he said, oh, you keep bringing Jesus into it. It's like, just you, you know, stop banging that drum. I saying, but I have no other drum to bang. He's seen some counselors. And he said, I've, you know, I've seen them and they've, we've talked through my problems and it doesn't seem to help. And I said, sometimes that's the case. Counselors are good, but Jesus is the power to change. And he said, well, I, I, I've never seen that happen in anyone. I said, you haven't looked very close. So he said, what happened to you, Edward? How did God change you? And there are lots of ways. And I thought, well, What's, what can I tell him? I said, I remember it really clearly on the 10th of November, 1991. It was the day I became a Christian. And, and God literally turned my life around. And it wasn't that I was in crisis, like sometimes we hear in testimonies, and it's God is rescues, and that's brilliant. For me, it was about Jesus and his death and his resurrection that I, I, I became convinced about. But interesting is the footnote, not a footnote, one of the things he did as I became a Christian, he, he, he put compassion, really deep compassion in me. You see, beforehand I'd grown up as, uh, in science and um, not all scientists think this, so please don't think I'm tiring everyone in the same brush. But for me, there was very little capacity for, for love of those who weren't close to me, for the family and the friends. So... 25 years ago, the first time Band-Aid got released, do they know it's Christmas? And there were the harrowing pictures on television of, of famine in Ethiopia and Somalia and distended stomachs and people dying. And, and it did move me. One couldn't help but be moved. But I knew very much, very much, that there was also part of me that was saying, well, there's overpopulation and there's ecological uh, catastrophe going on. The ecosystem can't cope with overpopulated human beings. And, and actually, rather than necessarily trying to save everybody, maybe famine is a natural way of, of resetting balance. And I really did believe that. And that would get played out in all sorts of ways. I wasn't very charitable. But I can distinctly remember the day that I became a Christian, the weekend, and the week after, the love of God had so, the Holy Spirit had so changed me, so reformed me, that when I sat and watched the news on television, or when I heard a report from somewhere, internet didn't really exist in those days. Wow, what an era, 20, 23 years ago. Goodness me, my heart was stirred. 
and tears form. And that was one of the things I think that God did that moved me from, I still love science, but wanting to pursue a career in science to, to the beginnings of, of why he's called me to pastoral ministry, of that compassion, that love for people that he put there that was an echo of his heart. And just a few months ago, I was, I was praying for some people. I was, I was in visiting India, and, and as the case, I was, you know, there's lots of people gathered around, and this one man, he was 20-something, came to me, and he said, I'm, I'm, my, my hands don't work properly, and I get these pains in my arm. So I, I kind of stood with him, and I prayed, held his hands, I prayed in the name of Jesus for a little while, and I asked him, have they changed? He said, I can feel something coming back. And I said, it's great. I was really encouraged. And I said, let me pray for you again. So we prayed for some more. And, I, and um, he said, you know, sensation had come back and he could move his hands. And I was like, fantastic. Praise the Lord. I was really glad. And we moved on. And I was telling Chandra and Shaker later. And they said, oh, that's the guy with leprosy. And I was like, you know, holding his hands and then, probably picked my nose since then and you know I don't know I don't know what I've done but I was suddenly in that moment of thinking but you know quick as a flash I was really glad that I'd had the chance to pray for him and then that question I thought if I knew beforehand that he had leprosy would I have been so eager and actually I would despite the fact that I was with my friend who's a surgeon and could have prescribed me antibiotics and sorted me out but actually there was something of heart change, very much, that the Lord had done. Jesus elevates the dignity of the person. This is, um, can you click on for me, Chris? This is uh, something that Philip Yancey wrote in a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And it, Okay, I'll read it to you. It says, when I'm tempted to recoil in horror from sinners from different people, I remember what it must have been like for Jesus to live on earth. Perfect, sinless, Jesus had every right to be repulsed by the behavior of those around him. Yet he treated notorious sinners with mercy and not judgment. One, of those, uh, one who has been touched by grace will no longer look on those who stray as those evil people or those people poor people who need our help, nor must we search for signs of love worthiness. Grace teaches us that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. Jesus elevates the dignity of the person, of humanity, says life matters, matters oh so much. And that gets worked out in, in 101 different ways in the, in the teachings of Jesus in the early church. It says that we're to see people as brother or sister, whether they're lost or found. Jesus says, pray for your enemies, for those who persecute you. Wow, why? They're our enemies. No, they're created in the image of God. Build up, not tear down. Encourage, not destroy. Why? Because people matter. The dignity of people matters. 
Jesus says, you know, in the community of the church, we're to, to, to welcome the outsider and the stranger and the poor and give them the place of honor, not sort of set up a ranking and a hierarchy and a pecking order and say, here are the wealthy and the status and the privilege. And, and actually, well, we'll welcome you, but on certain conditions, not at all. All are welcome to the family of God. I love that parable. I find it deeply challenging. The king, says Jesus, he's having a, a banquet and he's, he wants to invite people and he sends out his servants with the invitations and they go to the big houses with gates and knock on the door and they go to the places of, uh, of the mayor and the leaders and the, uh, and the rulers and, and the business people and hand out the invitations. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm busy, other things to do. And they come back and said, no one's coming. And the king kind of says, well... The banquet's prepared. Go out into the highways and the byways. Go out into the gutters and under the trees and the places where people will be gathered because they've nowhere else to go. And they go and they say, here's a great banquet. Come. And we know the hall is filled. The king doesn't mind. The king invites. The king calls and says, come. You matter. Welcoming the why. Blessed art thou, O Christ, Christmas Christ, that thy cradle was so low that shepherds poorest and simple of earthly folk could yet kneel beside it and look level-eyed into the face of God. Let's pray.